Man, thank you all for being here tonight. Really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Saturday night, this Easter weekend, hang out with us. Man, greatly appreciate it. So when I was a fairly young kid, this one time I was talking to my father, and he told me this story about one of the first times he went with his dad, like out to a pub, and he went out with them, and his dad just kind of made mention to him. He says, you know, kind of like the first time you're going to go out into like community with all these other people and, and all this different talk. And his word of wisdom to my father and the kind of the word of wisdom my dad passed down to me, um, said by my grandfather was, don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. Don't believe anything you hear and only half of what you see. I'm like, my grandfather wasn't some sort of like grizzled old man who like hated the world or nothing like that. That wasn't the case. But you know what he was? He was a businessman. He had been in this world long enough to see that a lot of times um, things aren't necessarily said as truthfully as they could be. That sometimes people kind of fib on the details. Sometimes people kind of make the details bigger in areas that they want to show off and smaller in areas they don't. Or perhaps they'll tell tales to be able to get people's attention. We had a guy who used to work at our shop years ago. My father always joked around about him because he said he loved fishing. But every time he'd come back, he'd explain that he had caught a fish. And he'd say, I caught a fish this big. Well, which one is it? Because I've caught a fish this big. Maybe even this big, but I've never caught a fish this big. But he wouldn't do it like this. You see, there was some ambiguity in that, right? It was, it was, his, his bluegill was that big, and you're like, this big? Don't think it was that big. Man, you only believe half of what you see and nothing of what you hear. That's, that's kind of the detail of and uh, I am, I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty skeptical person, this, this service tonight is a skeptic's Easter, and, and I'm kind of skeptical altogether, um, I'm only 28 years old, uh, but I've, I've seen a lot in 28 years, and, and especially in, in my area of, of, of expertise, I guess, in, in the church world, I deal with people constantly, and I'm always a very skeptical person in regards to people always tell me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, a, I'm going to, and I always say, you know, don't tell me what you're going to do, tell me what you did. Wait and tell me after you accomplished it. And that's kind of my skepticism playing through because a lot of times I hear a whole bunch of talk, but a lot of times it's not backed up by much movement. And I, I kind of am skeptical altogether. A lot of you probably are the same way. Um, some of you are skeptics through and through. Some of you are just moderate skeptics. And we'll, we'll find out real quick here. So <clears throat> we'll do a quick little test, okay? You tell me if you think this is true or false by raise of hands, okay? I have hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back. Raise your hand if you think that's true. Okay? That's true, actually. I have. I, I've hiked to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back. And you see, some of you guys are skeptics. You're like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. But how about this one? I've also climbed to the top of Mount Everest. How many people believe that's true? Now, see, what just happened? You're right. It, it's false. I haven't climbed to the top of Mount Everest, all of a sudden, when the, when the facts became so that when you looked at them, you thought, unlikely, your skepticism overtook your faith, didn't it? Just that fast. And you know, with all the details, I know that that's almost an impossible journey. Only a few people have done this. If I've known Cameron any bit of time, I'm sure he would have bragged about that, right? Right, if that was the case. No, I don't, I don't think so, right? Just that fast, skepticism took over. Some of skepticism can be good, right? You realize uh, that's, that's probably 
not true. Some of us are just, man, through and through skeptics. Out there, anybody in the crowd who's willing to admit, I am a skeptic, definitely. Raise your hand with me. I am a skeptic. Raise your hand. Very, very good. All right, now put your hands down. Now, everyone, raise your hand who hates raising their hand in public situations. It's terrific. Okay, just wanted to make... Got you. Terrific. Probably one of the biggest areas that we are skeptical, which is why we're talking about this, is our faith. When we start talking about faith and people start talking about worldviews and religion and all of this, man, skepticism is part of it. We're skeptic as to, as to what that means. And that little skeptical, as I use that word, it just, it just means doubtful. It just means, yeah, I'm not so sure. Certainly all of us have, have a, a measure of skepticism when it comes to faith, when it comes to religion. Maybe some of you guys actually, that was kind of your story. Maybe you spent more time in the church when you were younger and you became skeptical. And, and the way that maybe the church that you were part of, the Christian community that you were part of, they treated that skepticism like a disease that needed to be fixed. And it kind of turns you off. Because you were just asking some questions. You're just a skeptic. You said, you know, I'm not so sure about this. And people said, well, you just got to have faith. And they, they kind of pounded into you the fact that, you know, the, the problem is you. The problem is you, not what we're talking about. Of course, there's, there's some sort of skepticism in regards to faith. But the, the thought I want to kind of put in your head today, and I, I don't want to take a long time, I don't want to belabor it, is what if your skepticism isn't bad? What if the fact that you're a skeptic in regards to faith in some sense, what if that's not actually a negative thing? What if that's actually a positive thing? What if that's something God would want to use to connect with you? Instead of it being some sort of detriment, what if that could actually lead you closer in regards to some sort of faith? I want to look at at just a, a quick moment of a story. It was told in the book of John that's found in the Bible. And the book of John was a documentary, basically, written by this guy named John who walked with Jesus for a number of years. He walked with him through Jesus' time of healing people, of teaching people, and he wrote down stuff as he had seen. As it went through, John just kept penning. And, and then Jesus did this, and I saw Jesus do this. And when Jesus would teach, he'd try to capture things, and he'd write this down. And John goes through, and he kind of tells a story. And I want to look at, at just a, a short part of John in regards to a skeptic. As most of you guys know, just for backstory to what we're going to read, this took place at the time Jesus came about the, on the scene um, when he was about 30 years old. He went around, he taught and for about three years. He was traveling, teaching, and doing miracles, healing people. The, the words that he was spoken were just amazing wisdom. And as many of you guys probably know, as we come to this Easter story, a lot of us even just, you might not have anything to do with the church, but just being in our rather Christian-influenced country. You probably know the story, of course, that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, one of his very own. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and then Jesus was finally basically taken and and brought before the Romans, and the Romans didn't like him either because he was doing a whole bunch of stuff to kind of upset the powers. When, When someone's in charge and they have this iron rule and someone says there's someone bigger, more in charge than those people in charge, they kind of get nervous. And they took Jesus and they found him guilty, and they they murdered him on a cross. They crucified him. That story is uh, one of the most terrible stories we find in all of the, all the Bible of, of Jesus going and being tortured and, and murdered um, at, the hands of, at the hands of men. But where we come to this is actually after this, after the, the death of Jesus, which so many of us know about. Afterwards, he was taken down off the cross, and a rich man who was coming through town named Joseph of Arimathea gave him 
a burial plot that he had. He had this cave, and only really rich people would have this kind of burial place. And he believed that Jesus really was the Son of God. He was who he said he was. And he said that he wanted to give him this tomb, and he put him in it. As he put him in it, the the tomb was sealed with this gigantic rock. The Romans and, and the Jews at the time certainly didn't want his disciples to come and steal this body because if they did it would it would bring about about false hope inside of inside of their camps and we pick up this story in john 20 starting in verse 1 this is what the bible says and you can read along with me on the screens early on sunday morning while it was still dark mary magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance she ran and found simon peter and the other disciples the one who Jesus loved. Excuse me, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. And that's actually John. That's what he called himself. And it wasn't being cocky. They actually believed that maybe he didn't list himself to try to be humble. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen, wrapping, linen wrappings laying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed, for until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus... Wait, excuse me. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Now, the story kind of is interesting. I want to jump forward just a little bit, just to, to keep concise in this. They go home, and it jumps down. In verse 19, we continue this. It says, That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of these Jewish leaders. Basically, they're afraid they killed Jesus. Now they're going to probably come and find us. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and on his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And this is amazing. This is the story that we celebrate as Christians at this time of the year. When we talk about Easter and why it's the biggest deal throughout the entire year, it's this. It's, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was dead and buried. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he came back and he met these men. Believe it or not, he actually told these guys this was going to happen. There's multiple times in the past he says, I'm going to have to go, be betrayed, be murdered. Three days later, I'll come back. But they just kind of didn't get it. My guess is, like we would, we'd be like, yeah, I don't know what that means, Jesus, because obviously that's impossible, right? It must be some sort of other statement because we know no one could be murdered and dead three days and come back. But the part of the story that I want to focus on is actually this very next couple of verses. I want to look deeper at this because I believe it has great insight for us today as we look at this, especially on a skeptic's Easter. In John 20, 24 through 28, it says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger in, fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound on his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Thomas was a skeptic. He was a skeptic. Much like us 
He came and all of a sudden, all these people said, man, Jesus is back. He, he showed up. And he's like, yeah, no. How in the world could I just trust your word for it? He says, no, for real, you know, Jesus come back. And he's like, I, I just can't believe it. Man, I, maybe I even want to believe it, but I just can't believe it unless I, unless I saw his hands, unless I, I put my hand in his side and I realized this really was him. I just couldn't believe it. But notice Jesus' response as he shows up. Jesus doesn't show up and, and walk in and all of a sudden throw down on Thomas. Did you notice that? I mean, you kind of expect, right, that he would like show up and he's like, peace. And he like looks at Thomas and he's like, seriously, right? I told you, right? No faith, Thomas, come on. Well, that's not what he did. I love it. He said, he, he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side and don't be faithless any longer. Jesus showed up and he wasn't offended by Thomas's skepticism. He wasn't offended that Thomas said, you know, I just, I can't believe this unless I see it. And Jesus shows up and says, if you need to see it, let me show it to you. If you need to touch my hands, then touch my hands. I want to prove to you that I really am alive. What if God isn't offended by your skepticism? What if God isn't scared of your skepticism? What if he's not mad or offended if you say, you know, I just, I know everyone keeps telling me, all these people who I'm friends with, these people who keep inviting me to church, they keep telling me, this Jesus guy, he's alive, he's real. But until I see it, I just can't believe it. What if I told you that God isn't mad that you have that feeling? God isn't disappointed that you have that feeling. Instead, all he wants is an opportunity to show you that he's real. He wants an opportunity to show up and say, if you need to see my hands, I'll show you my hands. If you need to see my side, I'll, I'll show you my side. Thomas, the skeptic who wouldn't believe. The man who said, until I see it, I couldn't believe it. He went on to travel to India to be the very first missionary there to spread the church far and wide and was speared to death for his faith in India. What happened to a man who would not believe that all of a sudden he would be empowered, so violently changed that he would travel thousands and thousands of miles by foot to say you must believe in this this man named Jesus, and even willing to go to his death. I mean, something miraculous must have happened to him, almost like, like seeing a ghost, seeing someone come back to life. We have a skeptic, and you might be skeptical. You say, Cameron, I have my doubts. I just, I have my doubts, and I appreciate that. I appreciate your doubts, and I believe Jesus does too. But have you ever taken a minute to even just doubt your doubt? I know that sounds silly. But you have your doubts and you have things that you have logged in your brain of here's my arguments, here's my things. But have you ever taken just a moment to step back and say, let me just consider my doubts. Let me just consider the facts that might be here before me. Have you ever considered the fact that no historian would actually argue that Jesus lived here on earth? 
And no historian would argue the fact that Jesus did travel around. He, he created a following. He was killed. He, would, he was buried. And the body did disappear, whether you believe that it really was resurrection or that it was some sort of nefarious act. That as you look through the Bible, people have been astonished to find Jesus because looking back at Old Testament prophecies written almost 700 years earlier, Jesus fulfilled perfectly over 360 of them some of which are impossible to even be done, even if he wanted to, like being born in the right place, being killed a certain way, the people who murdered him doing specific acts while he was dying. Have you ever noticed that before this time, the day of the Lord was considered Saturday and somehow miraculously, around this time, the day of the Lord switched to Sunday? All of a sudden, good Faithful, God-fearing Jews changed the day in which they believed was God's day. It would take some sort of just mind-blowing shift for that to happen. Have you ever considered that a man like Thomas, who was skeptical, who was scared, meeting behind locked doors because of fear that the men who killed Jesus would kill him, was empowered to travel thousands of miles and spread the gospel and die for his faith? And the ten other men who followed Jesus did the exact same thing. Their reward for their time spent with Jesus was facing death. Yet all ten of them would rather choose death over disrespect when it came to Jesus. Nine of them accomplishing that outside of him. One of them finally being exiled to an island to die on his own. People said, man, those disciples, it was probably just all this this big scam, right? This big scheme that they took the body Man, 11 in a row to stand before a sword and say, I'd rather die than disrespect Jesus? I mean, don't you think that by number 8 or 9 or 10, someone would finally say, hold up, wait a minute. It was just a joke. We hid the body here. Have you ever stopped and thought about the fact that every other faith founded by a leader you can go and visit their tomb. Largest world religions around the world, all of them founded by a charismatic leader that this day you can travel and you can visit their tomb. Man, thousands do to Buddha's grave every year. Thousands do to Abraham's grave every year in the Jewish faith. Millions do travel to Muhammad's grave. And yet there's no grave site only guesstimates on possible empty tombs for Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that every other faith in this world follows the exact same pattern? There's something wrong with you. You can do something good to pay off what's wrong with you. And you can achieve some sort of glorification, some sort of reprieve from the the nastiness inside of you. And that Christianity stands alone, unlike any other faith in regards to say, there's something wrong with you and there's nothing you can do to fix it. But our God came and fixed it for you. That our God became a man and died in the place of you. That you were supposed to die and pay for your sins, yet our God paid for it. Have you ever considered the fact that Christianity is unlike any other religion in the world? It stands in complete opposition to every other worldview. Completely different when you think, oh, it's just one of many, one of many. Completely different. Have you ever realized and thought about this crazy man named Jesus 
Let me, let me just speak to you really truthfully for just a second, okay? A hundred years from now, nobody will even remember your name. I know that sounds offensive, but let's be really real, okay? Me, I can trace back to my dad's name is John. My grandfather's name is Russell. His dad's name was Harry. And his dad's name was Adolf. And I know no farther behind that. That's my own lineage, and I can't remember more than just a few generations. In a hundred years from now, people won't even remember your name, where you lived, what you did, who you were. Yet, a man named Jesus who never wrote a book has had more books wrote about him than anyone else in the world. A man named Jesus who never wrote a song has had more songs written about him than anyone else in the world. A man named Jesus who never left a 100-mile radius of where he was born is being talked about 2,000 miles away here today and in every different corner of the globe. A man named Jesus who spent a little less than three years doing ministry is being talked about 2,000 years later. Have you ever stopped to just consider for one second that maybe... Maybe this man Jesus is worth taking a second look at. I mean, I understand our our doubts, and I understand our qualms of saying, I'm too smart for that, but let me just be really real with you. No one's going to be talking about you in 2,000 years. There's something special about this man named Jesus, and maybe he deserves a second look. Have you ever stopped and doubted that doubt and realized that there's actually maybe so much evidence that there's so many people who have experienced so many amazing things that there's good foundation, not crazy wild leaps of faith, but, but honest and realistic steps of faith. Have you ever realized that this, this, this faith is so different than everything else that perhaps it deserves your attention? I know that many of you are skeptics. I'm skeptical myself at times. But so was Thomas. So was this man who had walked with Jesus for a long time. And when it finally came down to it, he says, I just can't believe unless I see it. And how do we reconcile a man who is that confused and that skeptical, sacrificing the rest of his life to travel as far and wide as he could to show that this man named Jesus came back to life? You understand that the Christian faith, and this is why it's so exciting to me, it is the only faith that is founded on news. Every other faith is founded on rules. Do this so that this, do this so that this. And Christianity is the only one completely different, founded on news saying there's this man named Jesus. He came here to earth. He was God incarnate in man. He died on the cross to pay for your eternal sins. And when he rose three days later, it was proof positive that the payment had been paid in full for death and it had been satisfied. And he said that all you must do, all you must do is believe in me. Turn from your sins and follow me. Some of you, just like Thomas, you say that's great that you're saying Jesus is alive. But I won't believe it until I see it. 
It's not enough for me to believe. I understand there's some, there's some things and, and maybe there's some facts in the past and maybe you said that you've seen Jesus or you've experienced Jesus, but, but not until I see it. It's fine. I believe God's not offended by your skepticism, but I would say this. Would you at least give Jesus an opportunity to prove himself real? I mean, Thomas says, I, I, I won't believe it till I see it, but, but notice where he was eight days later. He was back in the place where they said they saw Jesus. He was giving Jesus an opportunity. You know, I didn't get to see him, but, but he didn't go and he didn't isolate himself. Let me tell you, your skepticism, man, that's fine. But when you start mixing skepticism with isolation, it's dangerous. Skepticism mixed with isolation is a recipe for disaster. You're skeptical, that's great. But would you at least give Jesus an opportunity? An opportunity to show you that he's real? I wholeheartedly believe because I have experienced Jesus. I have met him. He has changed my life. I wholeheartedly believe whatever you need, whatever measure you need in order to believe him, he is willing and he is able to deliver it to you. Whatever it is, if you said, I'm literally the person who unless I saw Jesus Christ myself, I'd say then ask him. Because you might be surprised. Maybe you'd wake up one night and all of a sudden he'd be there waiting for you. I believe in my God that he's that powerful, that he's that loving, that he would do something that miraculous. If you're a skeptic, would you just do this? Would you doubt your doubt? Would you give Jesus a chance to prove that he's real? You can do this really simply tonight by just stopping and in quiet, inside of your head, just saying, Jesus, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, I give you access to do something in my life. If you're real, prove it to me. Do something in my life so that I can see that you're real. If you're a skeptic and you would say, I, I don't believe it, would you give Jesus an opportunity to show you? Doing something as simple, and I know it sounds like some sort of sales pitch, but would you just take it and say, you know what, people have found Jesus here. Would you say, you know, a couple of weeks of coming and listening to this, this series that I'm going to start next week called Woman's, all they are is amazing moments in which people met Jesus. Moments in which Jesus did something and it just shocked and awed people. Would you come and just say, let me just hear a little bit more about this man named Jesus that you're talking about. Would you give him an opportunity to show you his hands, to show you his side? Some of you, much like Thomas, you're skeptical. But at the exact same time, when you show up tonight, you wholeheartedly wish it's true. Deep down in your heart, when I say these things, there's something in you that says, man, I, I want to believe that. It struck me as I, was, as I was reading this story. Jesus died and he, he resurrects and he presents himself to the, the disciples after three days. And the Bible's really interesting in regards to numbers being really important in the Bible. When they, they, different numbers mean different things and, and it's very often it's connected. When you see a certain number, it often represents something. And number three is perfect because three is, is just this, it's this picture of divine perfection. And of course, it only took three days for him to resurrect. It's this number of divine perfection. But 
But, but Thomas had to wait eight extra days. They saw him after three, and Thomas had to wait eight more days. So if we take eight and we add three, that means that Thomas had to wait 11 days to meet Jesus. And 11 is a sorrowful number in the Bible. 11 is the number of disorder and the number of chaos and the number of judgment. And I believe that Thomas walked into this meeting at day 11 feeling like he was in a world of chaos and disorder. And only 11 days previously, this guy who he, man, he thought he was, man, everything to him. He had spent years following him. He watched him be murdered. And 11 days later, he walked in feeling as if his entire world had come crashing down around him. But you see, Thomas didn't realize that it wasn't day 11. It was actually day 8. Jesus came back after three days, and it had only been eight days. And see, eight in the Bible, that's the number of new beginnings and salvation. You see, Thomas walks in believing it's day 11, a day of chaos and a day of destruction, and it turns out it's actually day eight. It's a day of new beginnings. And I know there's some of you that when you come here tonight, you might be skeptical, but the reality is, is you walk in in day 11. And today, if I was to ask you what you're, what you're feeling and what you're going through, the reality is, is you would say it's day 11. It is a day of chaos and disorder, and life is hard. And what I want to tell you is today, as you've, you've come here, maybe you've heard something you never have before, I want to reveal to you that it is not day 11, it is day 8. And the glory of what we're celebrating is the fact that this is day eight. It's the day of new beginnings. And if you come here today and all of a sudden you heard for the first time the reality that this, this man named Jesus came here to earth and that he resurrected and this actually makes sense and it connects with me that today can be the day of new beginnings for you. That just like Thomas when he met Jesus and he saw him and all of a sudden he says, my, my Lord and by God, his eyes were open to the reality that it was true. And I wholeheartedly believe that there's some of you that as you come in today, you heard something spoken that all of a sudden it made sense. And it clicked in your heart. You realized that this Jesus that everyone's been talking about, I need him. You understand what we celebrate. And the whole story is that that. We walked away from God. We turned away from him. And every single one of us falls short of what God's glory is. That's what it says when it says all of us have sinned. Sin is a term that just means we miss the mark. It's like shooting an arrow off target. But God in his perfection, that sin cannot be part of him. So that sin has to be paid for. And that sin is paid for by death. That every one of us was meant to die and spend eternity in death to pay for that sin. And that God found the cosmic loophole in the system. And he came to this earth himself to satisfy it by his own death. That when Jesus went to the cross, he could not die because he had no sin. So he took the sin of the entire world and he bore it on his shoulders. And his death functioned as, as payment for all of that sin. And we know that it was more than enough to cover the balance. Because three days later he defeated it and rose from the dead. That as these men saw Jesus again, it was proof positive that he had beaten death. That as we see these men walk to their death a few years later, standing in front of sword or spear or or noose or cross, that they said, 
disrespect Jesus or die, and they said, we choose death. We've already seen somebody beat that one. We've already seen somebody come back from that one. And maybe for you tonight, as you walked in, it felt like day 11, but I'm here to tell you that it's day 8. It's a day of new beginnings for you. And what I want to do is just give you an opportunity, just in one minute, close your eyes with me for a second. If all of you would just close your eyes for one sec. Just give the person around you just some space to be able to have their moment with God. Even if it's not, you just close your eyes for a second to respect those around you. And what I want to do is I just want to offer you today that if today is a day where all of a sudden this makes sense, man, I don't have everything figured out and I'm still skeptical, but I feel like for the first time ever, like, like I saw the hands of Jesus tonight. It just made sense and I realized maybe this is actually true. Maybe I should take a step in regards to it. And, and, and you don't have everything figured out and this isn't some big flying leap of faith, but it's just a step. And you say, Jesus, would you, would you become the Lord of my life? I, I, need, I need Jesus. Man, I believe, I believe he's real. I, I, think, I think this is actually real. I need this. If it's you right now, what I just want to do is I want to give you just an opportunity. I'm going, to count to, I'm going to count to three, and when I do, I just want you to shoot your hand up so I can pray for you. No one's looking around, just between you and God. I want to see you just so I can pray for you in this moment. And if it's you right now, you know that it's you. You can feel it inside of your heart right now. You can feel, man, Jesus just showing you his hands and showing you his side, and you can feel it. One, two, three. Raise your hand if it's you. I see you right here. Yeah, raise your hand. Keep them up for a second. Keep it up. Keep them up for a second. Keep them up. Yeah, keep them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve people. And just pray this with me just in your heart. And all of us, let's pray with them tonight. Just pray with me this simple prayer. It's not some magical prayer, but it's just a prayer from our heart. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Become the Lord of my life. Show me your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. For you guys who did that, man, I just want to celebrate with you. Taking an amazing step for you guys. An amazing, amazing. Man, if it was you tonight... If it was you tonight who took that step and said, you know what, I want to take that step of faith tonight. Before you leave, what I'd love to just ask you to do, I know it's one more thing. Before you head out, would you just swing by guest services, Nicole's back there, and just say, hey, you know what, I raised my hand for salvation. We're not going to make some big deal about it, but we'd love to give you just a a, a Bible so you could have something to start in. We'd love to as well. We have just a, a card. It's just called Yes, Jesus. And we'd love you to sign it, not so much for us, but we want you to take this part with you, take it home, and put it somewhere you see it. Because I tell you what, tomorrow morning, the next day, you're going to feel this feeling that's going to say, you know what, that didn't mean anything. And you have something you can point to and say, no, I, I took that step. I took that step. My name's written on that card, actually. And I took that step. And I'm going to pray that God is going to meet you in the most amazing ways. And this next week, I pray that he's going to show you his hands. He's going to show you his side like he never has before. Thank you so much for being here. May you guys have an awesome Easter. God bless you guys.